You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. It's time to reimagine therapy and what it means to be a therapist. We are human beings who can now present ourselves as whole people with authenticity, purpose, and connection, especially now when therapists must develop a personal brand to market their practices. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy, and today we're joined by Liz Dubay, sex and relationship therapist. And welcome to the show, Liz. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I'm so glad to have you. I saw you speak at uh, a local professional meeting, and I think you're fabulous. I just love how you talk about sex. I love how you talk about relationships, and I'm I'm wanting to give you an opportunity to tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you're putting out in the world because uh, you're good people. Oh, I so appreciate that. Yeah, I, I really love doing speaking engagements. I love doing podcasts because so much of our work is really listening to clients mm-hmm. and that that sort of isolated interaction with people. And I'm such an extrovert. So being able to get out there and have people listen to me is always thrilling. I know. I'm so much like that. I love being in the spotlight. It's awesome. Yeah. So where's your practice? What's going on there? Yeah, I have a private practice in Long Beach and Huntington Beach, and I blog regularly. My website is uh, Talk Sex with Liz. Majority of the work I'm doing is face-to-face with clients, but I love getting out there and having opportunities to be able to speak to groups and get the word out there, you know? Nice, nice. And we'll put uh, links to your website in our show notes. Oh, thanks. Great. How did you end up with the practice that you did? What made you interested in sex therapy? therapy and sexual relationships? Oh, wow. Well, who's not interested in sex, right? (laughs) (laughs) That's that. uh, I think, you know, I grew up in a really progressive family. We were very open talking about sex and sexuality. And, And so I came to realize that uh, in, I think in my twenties where I thought, I thought initially that I was really just comfortable with it, that maybe it was because I was, uh, because of how I grew up that, I, you know, I don't know. I just thought, well, okay, everyone, when they get older, when they get more educated, they'll get more comfortable, right? Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I, I get through school, I surround myself with really educated people, and then I realize, wow, lots of people are not comfortable talking about sex. <laughs> and, and so maybe I'm kind of this anomaly. And, uh, and so uh, my previous career was really more work coaching, um, leadership development that sort of stuff. And I really loved helping people on a professional level, but it wasn't quite as satisfying as the idea of tapping into this piece of helping people with sex and intimacy. So I thought, well, maybe I'll go back to school and uh, utilize my, uh, my comfort with talking about sex and, uh, and my desire to help people. And that's how it came together. That's awesome. I know that, that there's a lot of therapists even who are super uncomfortable with talking about sex. What do we typically get wrong as therapists in talking to our clients about sex? Oh yeah. You know, I think the first problem is people, therapists don't initiate the conversation with their clients. They're waiting for their clients to ask them. And unfortunately, the clients are doing the very same thing. They are waiting for us to ask them the question. And then I think when, when therapists do actually ask their clients about sex, 
sometimes they are seeing their clients at a higher level of knowledge. So, so they're not realizing how so much of our clients' difficulties with sex and sexuality is rooted in myths that they are following, that oh, there's dear. so much misinformation that the clients, they'll come to me and I'll think, oh my God, do you really think that's true? Uh, these and, and sometimes maybe they're not consciously believing things are true, but they kind of just feel like, you know, men and women are supposed to behave in certain ways sexually or their bodies are supposed to respond in certain ways. I can't tell you how many clients I've had, how many guys that, that have erectile dysfunction and they'll say, yeah, you know, I'm, my relationship with my wife sucks. I'm, I, I can't talk to her about what I'm frustrated about. And, and for some reason, all of a sudden, I'm having erectile dysfunction. <laughs> and I'll say, well, you know, the hip bone's connected to the thigh bone. I mean, <laughs> your dick is connected to your brain. So your body is telling you something that you need to work mm. on your relationship because who would want to be intimate with someone that they don't feel like they can be honest and open and express their wants and needs with? So I think that sometimes it's basic information that I'm giving. Initially, there's so much basic information that I'm giving to clients and, and oftentimes, them having myths about what to expect from their bodies or their partners is really what's driving are the roots of the problem. And so us being able to really start at the basic level and not assume that our clients have the accurate information about sex. So, you know, that's, that's, I think, one of the biggest misconceptions. I mean, the biggest mistake. Yeah, that makes sense. I think uh, oftentimes therapists may have some of the same misconceptions and myths. What are the most common myths that you've seen that people kind of get wrong, either from the client perspective or other therapists who aren't as informed? Oh, wow. Well, I think one of the biggest myths is that uh, guys are cavemen. <laughs> <laughs> They're, they can get a heart on at any time and that their brain has no impact on their mm -hmm. erections or their sexual performance. And I think that's just really a shame. Other myths are that uh, vaginal orgasms are real, that really not even 30% of women have orgasms through intercourse. Mm. And, and, and then that 30%, it's really getting, getting enough pressure on the clitoris through the positioning mm. and it's a clitoral orgasm. And so I think that sometimes, <laughs> you know, I'll have clients come to me and they're, they're, they're wanting to have uh, orgasms during penetrative sex. And, and I really have to work with them on creating more realistic expectations for their bodies. But um, in terms of myths, I think Gosh, what are some other myths uh, at the top of my head? I can't, I, there, there's so many out there. <laughs> we, well, we should all have bodies like Greek gods and goddesses, right? <laughs> oh, definitely. Oh, yeah. Like old people don't have sex, right? Even yeah, though sure, once you retire, it's like, shit, finally I have enough time. I can <laughs> priority, right? Um, people who are overweight are not sexy and uh, don't have satisfying sex lives. And that's a myth as well. I'm yes. Sure. Yeah. People who are beautiful. People, the beautiful people, those are the people that are having the great sex. I'm telling you, I get a lot, a lot of beautiful people in my office that are not having sex. So I think those are some common myths that I come across with clients and with other therapists in the general population. Yeah, I would imagine that even just debunking some of these myths is a huge relief for the people that you talk with. Yeah. I mean, so many people come to me really just wanting to know that their struggles are common, that their struggles are typical, and uh, that, you know, so many people come to me and they say, am I normal? And I say, well, I don't really use that word in my office 
because mm-hmm. you know, what is normal, but is it typical? Is what you're struggling with? Have I heard it before? Sure. When during the therapeutic process should therapists start asking about sex and sexual ideas of their clients? Well, let's see. I think if you're seeing a couple right away, definitely right away, because what shows up outside the bedroom is likely showing up inside the bedroom. So if they're not talking openly, if they don't have a, a, a safe dialogue between one another, if there's a lot of defensiveness, blaming, personalizing communication, we, it's very likely showing up in the bedroom that people are often not expressing what they want and need in the bedroom if they aren't feeling like they can safely do that about general things outside the relationship. So with couples counseling, I think right away, really in that, in, in that first appointment, that first intake really saying, so how does this, you know, how is, how is your sex life? How often are you having sex? How satisfied are you with your sexual relationship? And how can I help you related to that piece of what you're coming in for? When people are talking about communication, okay, well, so how does that show up in the bedroom? Those sorts mm-hmm. of things. With couples counseling, I would say right away. With individuals, it really depends upon maybe their level of functioning. If they're really at a stage of survival, like the deep depression, intense anxiety, then you know, sex may be something that we address a little bit later once we get them at a, a level of functioning that they're feeling more comfortable, feeling more stable, grounded. And then that's when we check in. And although even in an, in, in an intake session, really their sexual functioning should be part of the, the assessment of, you know, are you having sex? How is your sex drive? Because certainly that is a symptom of uh, depression as well as if they have no sex drive. Yeah. I think in the initial assessment, it seems like there's a lot of questions that we can ask kind of based on and an assessment, but it sounds like when depression or, or some you know kind of intense symptomatology is really what's presenting, then then you want to assess, but then potentially the conversation about it, digging deeper into it may come later as, yeah. as functioning improves. That exactly. And I think by bringing it up in that first intake session, you're normalizing that sex is a healthy and normal, important piece of functioning. And so uh, by you not bringing up sex, you're kind of saying something right there, right? For sure. Like if you're asking them about, you know, you're eating, you're sleeping, you're working, but then you're not talking about sex. So, hmm, that's interesting. There's, there's, there's certainly a value judgment right there. And, and we really need to show them our comfort right away so that, that they know that, okay, yeah, this is a place where I can talk about sex. One of the things that I'm hearing is that therapists really have to open the space to be able to talk about sex, to normalize sex, to, to really remove judgment, to open up uh, safe, I'm going to say safe spaces again, to, to have these conversations. I can imagine if someone is, is really uncomfortable with their own sexuality or they're, they're really uncomfortable with sex in general, that, that that's one way that it would show up is that there just wouldn't be a conversation. How else can it show up in the therapy room if the therapist has their own discomfort with their own sexuality? Oh, well, with vocabulary, right? There's this hesitation uh-huh. of like, uh, yeah, well, tell me about your, uh, uh, how your, uh, your penis. this is funny i've led groups i remember i remember a woman in the group she said yeah when my boyfriend eats me out and i all the women in the group were just so horrified because they weren't (laughs) eating out you know for them it was like we want to speak you know we want to say oral or going down but the eating out was just like so horrifying for them right (laughs) so i i think it's it's being it's having an awareness of what you're comfortable with and really being able to hold that poker face, right? Because I hear lots of language and being able to hold that poker 
interface of whatever, if, if there is something that's startling to me, I can be like, oh yeah, that's interesting. And, and to also be able to re- repeat it. So, so when she said eating out, then I'm saying, yeah, okay. So when he eats you out, it feels dot, dot, dot. Right. And so mm-hmm. we really try to use their language. And so being aware of our own discomforts using language. In most cases, I am using words like vagina, labia, penis. But Mm -hmm. if my clients are using words like dick and pussy, that I'm going to follow their lead. If they say things like PP, I'm not going to say PP, okay? (laughs) PPs are not for sex. PPs are for peeing. But... (laughs) So I'm going to use adult language and language that is sexually empowering. And so I think that when we have that sort of hesitation, yeah, you know, or even, even the hesitation of when you say, when you have sex with your wife, when you have intercourse, or clients often hesitate even when they come into me to say, you know, guys in particular, right? They say, well, I don't know what language is okay for me to use in this room. Any language that you want, as long as it's yeah. adult language. The more aware that therapists can be about what they're uncomfortable about and start practicing with friends, chatting with other therapists about, oh, wow, so I'm, I'm uncomfortable talking about sex. So I need to start saying dick more often. I need, to start, <laughs> you know, I need to start adding words to my vocabulary with friends that I feel comfortable with so that I can experience having that word, you know, fall off of, of my tongue. What, how do you say that? Fall off my tongue? I, roll, roll off your tongue? Roll, yeah, roll off my tongue. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's something where it's really making sure to desensitize yourself to these things because it isn't, isn't necessarily common conversation. And if therapists are really uncomfortable, if they have a visceral response or if they stumble over the words, that's seen, I'm sure, by the client as an inherent judgment. And so it can really hinder the work. Yes. And, you know, I get a lot of clients that come to me and they've had, a, they've had an individual therapist, they've had couples therapists, and they'll say, well, I just could tell that my therapist wasn't comfortable talking about sex, so that's why I'm seeing you. And, you know, in some respects, I say, okay, great. Yeah, go to the expert. It's going to typically be more efficient getting the treatment that you need. And in in other respects, I say, well, maybe it isn't as efficient because you spent a lot of time building rapport and comfort and an understanding with your therapist. And now we got to kind of start from ground zero Mm -hmm. and establish that trust and that comfort. And it would be so great if they could have stayed with their therapist in, uh, in that environment where they have that history and that understanding and that therapist has an insight and can connect the dots because of the, seeing the history and the patterns with that client and to consult with a sex therapist. Say, you know, give me a call and say, hey, Liz, I want to consult on a, on a case with you. How should I handle this? Give me some tips. You know, what, how do you typically treat this sort of a, a problem with clients. Does that make sense? It, it really does. And our, our last couple of episodes uh, that Katie and I have been talking have been a lot about the deliberate practice of getting more comfortable with some of the things that you might not be comfortable with. And so Liz is really speaking a lot to those last couple of episodes of go and talk with other people so that way you can get comfortable about it and not have this reaction from your clients. Mm-hmm. And it's this kind of deliberate practice that really allows for us to better serve our clients and to be better therapists as we're doing it. Yes. I think it's really important because I think too often, I mean, I, I've worked with a lot of, of clients who are survivors of sexual trauma. And and I know I even 
this is an area of growth for me because I know that I don't always assess sex right in the first session. And you think you would with sexual abuse. We talk about it based on the abuse, but but the healthy sexual relationships, I think, are things that can be really hard. And when there's not necessarily the awareness of what I'm not comfortable with, it's important to have this assessment. You know, am I am I addressing this well enough? I think all of us who aren't you know, sex therapists aren't necessarily having that front of mind to really make sure that we're, we're addressing it appropriately because it is such an important part of daily functioning. It's a, an important part about relationships. And if we miss that, it can really harm our clients. And so being able to have someone who can, you know, that you can go to consult with to say, hey, is this normal? I don't know if this is normal. I've got my own experiences. I don't have all the extra information. And it's so important to recognize that that you're wanting to support us and not necessarily, you know, any client that has anything related to sex, oh, send them my way. It's like, hey, no, if you've built this relationship, let me support you in figuring out how to talk about that. Because I think some people get also pretty protective of their clients and aren't necessarily seeking consultation sufficiently. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I I have a successful practice, so I feel pretty good. (laughs) I'm not desperate for clients. I definitely also want to be a source within my community, within my therapeutic community as a resource for everybody so that, you know, that to me is such a compliment. If someone calls me and asks me for a consult on a client, it's like, oh, wow, I I would love to take the time for you and serve as a resource. That's really, it really is a huge compliment. And uh, one other thing came up as you were speaking, Katie, is this idea that yeah, if we're not having sex, let's just think about this as ourselves individually, okay? If you aren't having sex and you're in a relationship, I think that's a problem. Yeah. I think most people would think that is a problem. I think most people want to solve that. And maybe it's not a problem. Maybe they're saying, you know what, I'm, I'm cool with not having sex right now, or I'm consciously not having sex right now. I think it's, it would be an interesting conversation. For sure. But this idea of if they aren't having sex, to be able to have someone that they can talk to about that. Because let me tell you, I get so many clients coming in and they have never spoken to anyone about their sexual struggles. They Mm. don't feel safe to tell friends because they worry that maybe friends will tell other friends. They don't feel safe to talk about uh, dissatisfaction with their partner because they feel like that would be disrespectful to their partner. So this is a safe place where they know that what they speak about will not be shared with anyone else. And so for us to not realize that a person's sex life is going to show up and influence their happiness or their dissatisfaction in their life is is really kind of um, ignorant. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I think there's oftentimes that if therapists don't have the knowledge or if therapists feel uncomfortable, they may also feel really uncomfortable seeking out consultation. It feels like there can be oftentimes a lot of shame connected with sex. And I know as therapists, we're really hard on ourselves regardless, right? Like, you know, and so even seeking out consultation could seem like this, you know, for, for specific around sex therapy could be a really challenging thing for therapists to, to face is like, Hey, I've got this huge gaping, you know, thing. And it, it seems to be reflective on things that are a little bit more vulnerable, a little bit more personal. Yeah. I mean, it is fascinating that so many therapists, we're not experts on addiction. Maybe we're not an expert on child abuse. Maybe we're not an expert on domestic violence. And, and yet we, would, we wouldn't experience shame surrounding those topics. 
but then we'll experience shame surrounding the sexual piece. And maybe it's because everybody has sex or maybe everybody's supposed to have sex. I don't know. But I think shame is something that I really have been taking to heart as a sex therapist. This idea of also um, imposter syndrome of like, okay, if I don't know it all, then I'm incompetent. If I don't, if I don't have the answers, oh my gosh, how, how dare I be a therapist? I have had people, lay people, non-therapist people, yes. joke about, they said, oh yeah, I had a, I had, we had a good chuckle that you're a marriage therapist. And I thought about it and I, was, I thought they were chuckling about the fact that I was a sex therapist. They thought it was funny. And then I found out they were laughing because I'm a divorced marriage therapist. Oh, wow. I was pissed. <laughs> <laughs> and hey, Judgy well, McJudgerson, that's not yes. very nice. But let me tell you, you know what? Before I got divorced and I was thinking about getting a divorce, uh, boy, was I judging myself. I was, uh, I myself was really struggling with that. That, Like, oh my gosh, how are people going to see me? That if I can't fix my own marriage, then how could I possibly help other people in their lives? Well, you know what? I've helped many people in topics outside of my level of expertise. I don't need to be an expert. I don't have to have mastered everything in my life to be able to help people because there's no way that we could possibly have an experienced or resolved every potential conflict that our our clients come to us with. And so how could I possibly judge other people who are struggling with something that's sex related? And, And I think that so much of the compassion that I have for other therapists comes from really doing my own healing. Because this has been something that for me, I've really struggled with many times throughout my career. The idea that I have to be, I have to have all my shit together. Mm -hmm. And I have all my shit together. I, I shouldn't be, you know, I shouldn't be doing this work, but ultimately through some great therapy with my, with my (laughs) therapist and some wonderful healing conversations with other sex and relationship therapists, I've come to realize that it's not about what it is that I'm struggling with. It's how I'm working on overcoming it. Am I willing to make the effort to to risk, to be vulnerable, and to utilize all the tools that I'm suggesting that my clients utilize in their struggles? That's where the work is. It's not whether or not we know about how to address erectile dysfunction, whether we've experienced sexual abuse before, whether we have had, you know, if you've only had one sexual partner and you go, why? Wow, I, I feel like I'm so limited in terms of my experience. Experience. It's like, you know what, that, that's not what it's about. It's about you knowing what resources you can give a client. It's about you reaching out to other experts in the field to guide them in a way that um, it's, we're going to, we guide our clients to go down roads that we've never gone before. We just yeah. say, this is, we know how to walk. <laughs> we yeah. say, I know how to walk. Here's the path. I will hold your hand and, and we'll figure it out. And as yeah. once I hit a bump in the road and I don't know the answer, I will find a resource for you. I will consult for you. And, and once, once you get to the road where I go, oh, wow, I have no idea what to do, then you refer out. For sure. Yeah, I think that's really important because if we are expecting ourselves to be perfect, we're so removed from our clients anyway that I don't think we're helpful even if we have, have it all figured out. You know, I think yeah. it's, it's something where I, I really like what you're saying there because I think it allows us to be human beings on the path and it's about how we're handling it versus knowing all the answers. Yeah, 
Yeah, exactly. So clearly your, your uh, friends, frenemies, uh, who were laughing about you being a, <laughs> uh, a marriage therapist, uh, as, as being divorced, you know, they had a certain perception of you, of what a couples therapist would look like. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, I'm sure there's a lot of misconceptions that you face being a sex therapist because oh, sure. even, even being a therapist, you know, there's all these, you know, like, oh, are you shrinking me? What's going on? But as a sex <laughs> therapist, like- how do you know what is what does that look like? What are the misconceptions that you face as a sex therapist? Oh yeah, okay, let's see. Well, first off, that I'm having sex every day, all day long. And that's just <laughs> that not would be true. exhausting. That's just not true. I mean, I have sex every night all night long. <laughs> but no, no, seriously. Uh, it's either the slut shaming of like I am against monogamy and I'm promiscuous or I've tried everything. I'm a master of everything. Or maybe I'm, I'm like so clinical about sex that maybe that's unsexy. I don't think so. No, that's not possible. People have not, <laughs> not have seen me or had a conversation. But, uh, <laughs> but I think that uh, probably the, the big thing is, is that I'm going to be against monogamy. Mm. I think that's one of the things... And the other big thing is that I have the most amazing sex life ever. And yeah, I have had the most amazing sex life ever at lots of times in my life, <laughs> but <laughs> not all the time. And I'm just like everybody else where I have my highs and my lows. I have my challenges. I've had a very long-term monogamous relationships and I've had short-term wonderful uh, casual encounters, but I haven't, I've had much, much uh, sexual dissatisfaction in my life, just as much as I, you know, have not maybe just as much, but I've had the highs and lows just like everybody else. So this assumption of, I remember, I remember I used to, when I, when I uh, was deciding whether or not I would become a sex therapist, I used to do uh, in-home parties, the romance parties, right? Mm -hmm. And so I would sell sex toys. I would teach classes on fabulous fellatio 101. Boy, that was, a <laughs> I, I miss those days. Uh, I teach lap dancing. I taught pole dancing. And boy, was that a blast. I had so much fun and it gave me so many opportunities to connect, to connect with other women and to see what the general population is, how they're reacting to sex sex and sexuality. And let me tell you over and over and over at those parties, people would say, Oh my God, Liz, you must have the most amazing sex life. You must have, your husband must be just exhausted, you know, or your husband yeah. just must love you. And I would always say, yeah, he's exhausted. And you just have to kind of go with that. Right. Because yeah. Otherwise, it's like, no, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you that I'm having struggles. I'm not going to tell you that um, it's taken a lot of work to get to this point, that it wasn't just completely natural, whatever. Um, so I think that the, the misconceptions are either I'm anti-monogamy or I've got everything all figured out and I've always had a perfect sex life. And I think that it's owning some of those things. And I don't think that this is completely isolated to being a sex therapist. This is also with childless therapists who work with kids or uh, oh, yeah. addiction therapists who haven't faced their own addiction issues before or any variety of things that I'm sure that many people can imagine that the key that I'm really hearing out of this is that it's really being honest with yourselves about your limits 
And it's really being able to look at yourself and kind of those dark spots or those blind spots that you might have that come along with either having kind of that imposter syndrome that you need to keep perpetuating or that you really need to own up to what your experience actually is in order to help your clients move past those issues. Yeah, sure. And, and I think there's a, a difficult balance between self-disclosure, right? Yeah. And, and then balancing out that power differential that we have with clients, right? So I get, uh, you know, I'll get women that'll come in. I remember one time this woman came in and she was struggling with her sexual desire. And I remember this was a point in my marriage where I was really struggling. And I, I, I can't remember what was going on in my sex life, but it certainly wasn't like a high point in my life. Yeah. And, yeah. She, and she says to me, oh my God, this is so embarrassing to talk to you about my low sex drive because you must have just this amazing sex life. And, you know, I thought, oh, wow. I mean, I can't, I don't really think that there's value in me sharing with her what I might be struggling with, Mm -hmm. but how do I close that gap of her putting me up on this pedestal? And that feels really crummy as a therapist. Yeah. How do you navigate that? Because I can understand not wanting to to process your own sexual struggles in the room yeah. in that moment, but how do you close the gap? In a lot of cases, I'll speak generally where I'll say, you know what? I have my highs and lows just like you. Much of our sex drive is, is influenced by our hormones and kind of normalize that like most women in long-term relationships are going to struggle with their desire from time to time. And so while I'm not necessarily sharing my own personal experiences, I'm putting myself in into that bucket of of the general population of women in long-term relationships. Does that make sense? It does. It does. I like that because I think it's it's something where, again, you know, with the vulnerability, talking about sex, all those kinds of things, it's not an easy self-disclosure. And so being able to normalize yourself within the general population, that's that's a good tactic. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Our guest today is Liz Dubay. She is, where can people find you, Liz? Uh, Talk Sex with Liz, my website. And uh, you can read my blog. You can email me from there. You can give me a call from there. And it's as simple as that. So what's next for you? What's next for me? Hmm. Well, let's see. I've done pole dancing, lap dancing. (laughs) Um, Do you have any ideas? Well, I love hearing you speak. So I hope to see you speaking locally again sometime soon. Yeah, yeah. I would love to. I, I, I need to get out there and and do my my little circus act <laughs> again soon. Well, it's been great to have you. Thank you so much for being here. And we'll definitely put all of your, your stuff in the show notes so that people can connect with you if they'd like to consult or if they want to have you come speak or be on the, a podcast. Thanks. I, I really appreciate you having me. And I think this is, this is a great resource for her therapists. I hope that people are listening more because it, our work is so isolating to be able to have opportunities to normalize the struggles that we have in our, in our work is, this is a great resource. So thanks for having me. Thank you. And we'd love to hear from any of you who's listening to us. You can connect with us on our social media. You can find links to all of that on our website, mtsgpodcast.com. While you're there, you can check out our live events, including the Therapy Reimagined Conference that we have coming up in October of 2018 in the Los Angeles area. Two days of talking about all things facing therapists and about moving the therapist forward in the profession. So We're really excited about that. And until next time, I'm Kurt Whithelm with Katie Vernoy and Liz Dubay. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com.
You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes.